Would you pray with me? God, we do come before you this morning, and we are grateful that you are a God who can make dead things live again. What an amazing reality about your character and your capacity that there's no situation that is beyond your ability to infuse life into something that is currently dead and bring it back to life again. It's true of our lives. It's true of churches and communities and neighborhoods. It's true of states and nations and even this world. So God, this morning on this first Sunday of a brand new year, would you infuse faith and vision and hope into our lives to believe again that you can change anything to make it exactly what you originally intended for it to be. Lord, as we turn our attention now to the scriptures that have already been read and sung for us this morning, would you open our hearts and our minds to understand and receive what you are saying so that we can faithfully be your people in this new year. And we pray these things today in Jesus' name. And everyone who agreed said, amen. Well, good morning. We made it. To a brand new year. 2020 is in the rear view mirror. Can I get an amen this morning? 2020 is in the rear view mirror. Uh, man, it is, uh, I, I don't know about you, but I found myself at various points in 2020 just thinking, is this year ever going to be over? And we made it through. We're here, first Sunday of the new year. And uh, even though it's a brand new year, and typically we might be all excited about a brand new year with all of the new opportunities that this year holds, the reality is, is that even though 2020 is in the rearview mirror, we're at a place where we know that we still probably have challenges and difficulties that are in front of us, Right? I wish it wasn't that way. I wish we could just kind of flip the script and I could tell you that 2020 is behind us and 2021 is going to be awesome. But the reality is, is that there are challenges, right? We know the number of cases of COVID is going up. We know that there are now new variants of the virus. The president-elect Biden said to us that uh, our toughest, hardest days are still in front of us. We don't know whether he's right or not, but it's possible, right? We, we see 2020 in the rearview mirror, and we think to ourselves, what will this new year hold? And we wish we could say that it's all behind us now. Everything goes back to normal. Throw your mask in the trash. You never got to wear that thing again, right? All of that stuff. And yet, here we are, and we're still in the middle of a global pandemic. Now, I know what you're thinking about right now. You're thinking, man, I'm so glad I came to church. I feel so uplifted and encouraged on this first Sunday of the new year. But, but, but you have to understand something. Because today I want to talk to you about cultivating hope for the year that is ahead of us. 
And if we do not understand what the current reality is, whatever hope I might offer to you today would be false hope built on a denial of reality. And that's not what true hope is. True hope sees, acknowledges, and accepts the current reality and then looks at the character and capacity of our God and allows that to inspire real hope in us that the future can be different and better regardless of what the current reality is. That's true hope. And here at Lakeview Church, we're not going to deal in false hope. I'm not going to tell you 2020 was awful, 2021 is going to be awesome. I'm going to tell you 2021, 2020 was hard and 2021 might be hard as well. But we still serve a God who is God. He's still in control. He has the capacity to even in the middle of what might be a difficult year for us to infuse within this church new and fresh life and to allow that new and fresh life to spread into our community regardless of what's going on in our world. God is still God. He's still in control and he is still at work. Amen? So this morning I want to talk to you just for a few minutes about hope. I want to talk to you about what it takes for us to have in our hearts a radical hope for the new year. And so if you're here in the room or you're joining us online this morning, what I want you to do is open your Bibles. That might be on your phone. Get your phone out. Yes, do it now. Do it now. Here in the room or at home. Open up your phone, your Bible. Get, get the text out in front of you. Ezekiel chapter 37. That's the passage that was read for us just a few moments ago. Read and sung. And we're going to look at this passage again, Ezekiel chapter 37, and we're going to look at the first 10 verses together. This is a passage of scripture that the Lord actually took me to about a year ago. I was just doing some kind of personal time with the Lord, and I just felt compelled to go to Ezekiel chapter 37. It wasn't in my normal Bible reading plan. It wasn't part of a bigger study project that I was doing in the scriptures. I just was praying one day, and I felt compelled to go to Ezekiel chapter 37, and I, I did, and I read the passage and I've just kept coming back to the passage over and over and over again over the last year. And God's been using this passage to speak into my life, I think, a word for the church. What does it mean to be the faithful people of God in today's time? And I had no idea when I started reading Ezekiel 37 a year ago that I would be your pastor. But over the last few weeks, as I've been thinking about Ezekiel 37 and the word that has been kind of taking shape in my heart over this last year, I realized that this word from Ezekiel 37, it's not just for the church, it's for this church. And so this morning, I just want to share with you from my own kind of personal meditation on Ezekiel 37 over the last 12 months Three or four things that I think have just become clear to me that I think say something to us about who we're supposed to be 
and what we're supposed to be about in the year that is in front of us. Now, before we look at the text, because we're going to read it again, I want to just make sure we're in the right frame of mind. And uh, I wanted to kind of help you maybe think about the, a new way to read Scripture in 2021. Some of you maybe already do this, but, but I want to encourage you in the year that is in front of us to read Scripture in what Eugene Peterson says is unhurried delight. I love that phrase. Because I don't know about you, but sometimes in my life I get busy. There's a lot going on, lots of moving parts and pieces, and, and I'm kind of hurried. And I get my Bible out in the morning, and I, I just I read it quick. Because I got stuff to do. I got places to go and people to see, right? None of you have this problem, but I do. And I read it quick. But what I think God might be asking us to do in the year ahead is to make sure we have enough space and margin in our lives to read scripture in a way that allows us to receive it with unhurried delight. To not read scripture to get it done, to not read scripture so we can do what's next, but to read scripture so the word of God can come deep into our souls and change who we are so that we can be the faithful people of God for this day and this time in which we live. Eugene Peterson, the, the guy who's responsible for the message translation, uh, which many people use in their devotional life, uh, you may, may or may not use that, and that's okay. This is not a commercial for the message. But Eugene Peterson, in an attempt to kind of devour the scriptures one word at a time, actually translated every verse of the Bible from the original Hebrew in the Old Testament, and the original Greek in the New Testament, and he wrote the message translation. You may not know this, but he actually did it as a pastor trying to create curriculum for his Sunday school class. He actually said, who needs a curriculum? We've got the Bible. That's enough. And so he just went back and translated from the original language and then every week he would pass out fresh translations of a passage of scripture and they would talk about it. And they would receive the word in unhurried delight. Well, he took that whole process of writing the message and he published a work called Eat This Book. It comes from a word given to the prophet Jeremiah where Jeremiah is actually told to eat the pages of this book. And he uses that phrase to kind of frame this idea of how we should read scripture. And I want you to, to kind of think about the, the image that Peterson uses in this book. Eat this book. He, he builds it off of the word meditation, to meditate on scripture. And you might not know this, but kind of the root idea of that word meditate is, is to chew on. Right? To, it, it's kind of like the... This is going to be a little gross, but it's kind of like the cow chewing the cud. They just chew on the same thing over and over and over again. That's what it means to meditate on the words of Scripture. To just ruminate on them. 
Not to microwave your scripture reading, but to cook it in a crock pot. To let it sit there and keep coming back to it over and over and over again. This is what he says in Eat This Book. He says, reading is an immense gift, but only if the words are assimilated. Taken into the soul, eaten, chewed, gnawed, received in unhurried delight. So in the broad sense this morning, I want to invite you to read Scripture in that way in 2021. Take it into your soul. Chew on it. Let God speak to you and change you. In a very narrow sense this morning, I want you to do this with me as we walk through this message in Ezekiel chapter 37 to just kind of take it in slowly. So I'm going to read the passage for you again. And as I read it, what I want to encourage you to do is not just to listen, but to put yourself in the place of the prophet. Right? Ezekiel's telling a story in Ezekiel 37 about how the Spirit of God moved on his life and walked him through this entire experience. So as I read this passage for you, what I want you to do today, whether you're here in the room or whether you're joining us online, what I want you to do is put yourself in the place of the prophet. Imagine that this story is happening to you. And with that frame of mind, listen to the words of Scripture again. The hand of the Lord was upon me. And he brought me out in the spirit of the Lord and set me down in the middle of the valley. It was full of bones. And he led me around among them. And behold, there were very many on the surface of the valley, and behold, they were very dry. And he said to me, Son of man, can these bones live? And I answered, O Lord God, you know. Then he said to me, prophesy over these bones and say to them, O dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God to these bones, behold, I will cause breath to enter you and you shall live. And I will lay sinews upon you and will cause flesh to come upon you and cover you with skin and put breath in you and you shall live and you shall know that I am the Lord. So I prophesied as I was commanded, and as I prophesied, there was a sound, and behold, a rattling, and the bones came together, bone to its bone, and I looked, and behold, there were sinews on them, and flesh had come upon them, and skin had covered them, but there was no breath in them. Then he said to me, prophesy to the breath. Prophesy, son of man, and say to the breath, Thus says the Lord God, Come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe on these slain, that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me, and the breath came into them, and they lived, and they stood on their feet, an exceedingly 
great army. This is the word of the Lord. As I have meditated on this passage of Scripture over the last year, there are three or four things. There are probably a hundred things I could share with you today. But I'm not going to go a hundred, just three or four. That would have been a great place for an amen. Okay? And when you spend an entire year in a passage of Scripture, there are lots of insights that you get, but kind of all of them have kind of uh, come around three or four key ideas that I think paint a picture of what kind of church we are being called to become in this year and in the years ahead. And I want to I want to just share those three or four things with you as quickly as I can. The first thing is that I think God is calling us to an uncomfortable proximity. Uncomfortable proximity. In this passage of Scripture, we find the prophet being led by the Spirit of God, right? The hand of God is upon him, and the Spirit leads him out into this valley, and it is a valley full of of bones. And not only is it a valley full of bones, but, but it's, it's bones everywhere. And they're very, very dry, which means there's a lot of death. It's all around. The bones were on the surface of the ground, which means this wasn't a proper cemetery. These were people who literally just died in the valley and they were left there. And not only is there a lot of death, which happened probably in some kind of catastrophic way, but it's death plus time because the bones are very, very dry. And Ezekiel, a Jew who's very familiar with the law of God, is led right into the middle of the valley where there's death all around him. Which if you know anything about the Jewish law, you know that as soon as the Spirit of God put him down in the middle of that valley, Ezekiel is now unclean. If you're a Jew, you're not going to be around dead bodies because if you're around dead bodies, you're unclean and you have to go through the process of becoming clean by walking through all of the ceremonies. This was not a comfortable place for Ezekiel as a prophet of God to be. And yet it's exactly where the Spirit of God led him to be. Which begs the question, why would God lead the prophet to a place that would make him unclean? Because God needed him to be there so he could work a miracle and bring those bones back to life. You see, as the church of Jesus Christ, we have this responsibility to be right in the middle of culture. And in case you haven't noticed, our culture is dead and it is decaying right in front of our eyes. And God has called us as his people to be right in the middle of that culture. Now, local churches have decisions to make. Some local churches find themselves in the middle of a dead and decaying culture, and they just say to themselves, let's compromise our convictions and become like the culture. And lots of churches have made that decision. 
Make no mistake about it. Lots of churches have made the decision to compromise their convictions, to walk away from a historical, traditional understanding of what the scriptures teach us and to just basically go along with the flow in culture. Lots of churches have made that decision. They're in the middle of culture, but they've become like it. Other churches have gone the opposite way. They've said, if culture is there, we don't want to be there. We want to be over here, away from culture. Come out from the world and be separate. This is why you find holiness churches, like the Wesleyan Church, always, never in the middle of town, always on the outskirts. Come out from them and be separate. We don't want to be around the world. The world is bad. We're going to go over here and be by ourselves. That's a choice that churches can make. To either be in the middle of culture, compromise your convictions, and become like the culture, or become completely separate from the culture for the purpose of holding on to your convictions. And guess what? Neither one of them honors God. Neither one of them honors God. God is not honored by a church that is disconnected from its culture, keeping its convictions. God is not honored by that. And God is not honored by a church that joins with the culture and throws its convictions out of the window. This is why Jesus prayed a very simple and profound prayer for his church. That they would be in the world but not of it. That we would find ourselves as the people of God right in the middle of a culture that is dead and decaying, but we would have a distinct and solid identity with the life of God inside of us that serves as a testimony to the culture around us of a different way to live. That is the church that honors God. And when we look into our future, God is calling us as a church not to either one of those other extremes. If you choose as a church any one of those two extremes, I won't be your pastor anymore. I am not interested in compromising our convictions. So if that's the kind of church you're looking for, you can find another pastor or find another church. And that was a good place for an amen. And if you want to be separate from the culture and have no influence over it, I'm not interested in that kind of church either. Because I don't think either one of them honors God. We're going to be the kind of church that positions ourselves right in the middle of our city, right in the middle of our county, and we are going to be right in the mess of it all. We're going to be distinct Because we're not going to give up our convictions. We are going to be true to the word of God. We're going to be true to who God calls us to be. But we're going to be right in the middle of a culture that's dead and decaying. And we are going to share life with that culture. That's the kind of church that we're going to be. Because I keep dreaming about our future as a church. And as I dream about that future, I think to myself, what if God would position us? We've got a counseling center. What if God would position our counselors to provide support groups for people all across our community? People who are struggling with addictions to pornography, to alcohol, to drugs. 
What if God would position support groups that would help people who are dealing with anxiety or depression find freedom and healing and wholeness? What if, what if those support groups could come alongside of people who are recovering from divorce or who are grieving the loss of a loved one? What if God's given us a counseling center so that we can get right in the mess of our community and help people find a better life that he is offering to them? I keep dreaming about the future of our church and I keep wondering, what if God would use us as a congregation to heal some of the racial wounds of the past in our community? What if a few years from now, people looked at Lakeview and saw a church that was partnered with maybe one or more black congregations in our community, and we were building a relationship with those congregations and doing shared ministry together in our community to help our community find racial healing? Because when God created the world, he did not create the world to be divided. He created us to be one family under God. And we should work on that together. I keep dreaming about our church and I wonder, what if God would lead us to, to actually have a second campus right in the heart of our city? Somewhere close to downtown, a place where we could have worship services, a place where people could experience discipleship programming and come and engage in community development initiatives. What if we had a place where people could come and find counseling or be a part of one of those support groups and it was right in the hub where everybody was? keep dreaming about our church and I, I think about our community outreach and I, I wonder to myself, what if God would lead us to expand on ministries we already have, things like Embrace Grace, which by the way should be expanding because it's a need that our community has. What about ministries like Common Thread? I don't know if you realize this, but we sow crazy amounts of stuff in this church. And we give it to people all across our community, around our state, and in other parts of the world, right from this church. Even during COVID, when they couldn't meet to sew together, they actually had runners. So one person would do a part of the sewing project, and then someone would just like drive up and roll the window down, and things would get thrown into the window, and they'd drive to the next place and throw them out the window, and, and that person would do their part, and and they still created amazing amounts of stuff during this time. We have ministries like that. And that needs to continue to grow and expand. We have ministries like Feed the Streets. I don't know if you know about this, but the amount of bags of groceries that get delivered to families on a monthly basis is amazing. And it's not just a food giveaway. It's building relationships with people and investing in their lives we have these kinds of ministries and they should continue to grow and expand and there are dozens of others that probably need to be started. I'm so excited to let you know that God has made it possible for us to have a community outreach pastor join our staff in this new year. Now, I'm not gonna introduce her to you today, but I will in the next few weeks, so stay tuned. I'm just trying to get you to come back. You know how they always end the, the suspenseful shows right at the commercial so you'll come back after? That's what I'm doing right now. 
But we got this community outreach pastor. She is going to join our staff, and, and she is a Marian native. She is a gifted evangelist. She is connected to our community, and she is going to help us as a church get more connected to Marion and to Grant County so that we can serve people. We can meet needs. We can share the gospel, and we can invite new people into our church. I'm excited that she's joining our staff, and she's going to do it as a volunteer because she believes in the mission and vision that God has given us. God is doing some things in our church, and I keep dreaming about the future, and every time I do, I just see our church right in the middle of the mess. It's uncomfortable, yes, but it's the only place where we can have real influence for the kingdom of God. You can't influence the valley from the mountaintop. You gotta be in the valley where the dry bones are. Uncomfortable proximity. Second thing that I see, and I'll try to go faster. Second thing that I see in this passage is just radical hope. Radical hope. God's spirit takes the prophet, puts him right in the middle of the valley of dry bones, and then he says to him, son of man, can these bones live? This is not a test of the prophet's knowledge. This is a test of his vision and his faith. What God wants to know is, son of man, when you look at the dry bones, do you just see dry bones? Or do you see what I see? Because when God looks at the valley, he doesn't just see dry bones. He sees an exceedingly great army ready to be brought back to life and ready to be sent into battle. Yeah, it's dry bones, but God not only sees the reality of the present, he sees the possibility of the future. And listen, we need to have the kind of hope that the prophet displays. When God says, son of man, can these bones live? The prophet says, you know. I think the prophet's saying, Lord, if you want them to live, they'll live. Ezekiel knows he can't make them live, but he knows the character and the capacity of his God. So he can see the reality, but he can see the possibility. You know, Lord. Listen, we need this kind of hope in our lives at Lakeview Church. And I think we need it on two levels. We need it as a church. Remember, we had focus groups back in September. 11 of them, 160 of you came and, and you endured an hour and a half with me. And I asked you questions and you gave me answers. One of the things that I heard throughout those focus groups, it was one of the themes that kind of just came out, was that as you look back over the last 10, 15 years or more at Lakeview, there's just been just kind of a season of frustration. I think that's fair to say. That there have been challenges and there have been difficulties and there have been setbacks. There have been things where it seemed like maybe the church was moving forward and then hit a wall and there was a frustration. It seemed like there was maybe new life being born and then another setback or challenge. 
And you just look back over that time and you see a church that, let's be honest, when we look back on the history of Lakeview, there are so many great, wonderful moments. Mountaintops, places where God was using this church in wonderful, powerful, mighty ways to reach this community, to send missionaries around the world and to do so many great things. And then you look at the setbacks and the challenges and the frustrations and and if if, if we're just honest, if we can be honest, I hope we can. We come to moments in our lives and we just think, man, we look back and we see what was a great church, but we don't feel so great anymore. Is that fair? This is yes and this is no. You can answer however you want. I'm not going to tell you how to answer, but is that fair? And we look at this reality, and here's the question I think God wants to ask us today. Can these bones live again? And I hope we respond like the prophet. Yes, Lord, you know they can. God, if you want to breathe new life into this church, you can do it. we got to have radical hope that God can take a church, not, not back to its past, Hear me. We're not going to go back to our past. Because that's already done. It's the future that we've got to live in. So we're not asking God to breathe new life in us so we can go back there. We're saying God breathe new life into us because there's a future where we must be faithful for you. And the future that we must be faithful for God in is nothing like the past that where we saw God work back there. Our world is changing. And while we will not compromise our convictions, we will change to address the challenges of the new days that are in front of us. It is the only way to be a faithful witness in the future. So we're asking God, breathe new life into us and take us into the future. And we need radical hope for that. And we need radical hope, not just as a church, but we need it for our community. 42,000 people in Grant County don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ today. We're not talking about some far off mission field. We live in a mission field. We live in a mission field. And we need, when we drive the streets, when we walk in our neighborhoods, we need to have a radical hope that's born in our souls from God that says, these bones can live again. Because God can do anything he wants to do. He can change anybody. He can set anybody free. He can take broken marriages and put them back together again. He can take lives that seem to be falling apart at the seams and he can stitch them all up and make them like brand new. He can take people whose lives seem to be ruined by the decisions they've made in the past and he can redeem them. God can bring life where death currently reigns. Which brings me to the third thing that I think is required for us as a church. We gotta have this uncomfortable proximity right in the middle of the mess. We gotta have a radical hope that says right in the middle of the mess, God can still do his work. And then in order for God to accomplish his purposes, we must understand we've been called to a prophetic ministry. Now for some of you, the word prophetic gets a little weird because you think it means telling the future. But really, prophets in the Bible did very little 
telling the future. Only about 10% of the words spoken by the prophets in the Bible are about the future. The other 90% is just simply communicating the word of the Lord. Reminding the people, this is the way of God, walk in it. That's what prophets do. They call people back to the way. And that's exactly what God's calling us to do. In Ezekiel 37, the prophet hears from God and then speaks for God. That's what a prophetic ministry is. We hear from God and we speak for God. And when I say that, I don't mean the pastoral staff hears from God and speaks for God, though we should be doing that. You should be doing it too. Hearing from God and speaking for God. This is what it means to have a prophetic ministry. This happens twice in Ezekiel 37 where the prophet hears from God and then speaks for God. What does this mean for us today? It means that you and I, however connected you have been to the word of God in this last year, you just need to be more connected in the year ahead. If you look at your life and you say, I have zero connection to the word of God, then you better start this year because you need a connection to the word of God. And if you found yourself in the word of God on a regular basis last year, just double down on that this year. Read it in unhurried delight. Because you need the word of God to shape every part of who you are so that you have something to say to the world around us. One of the most disappointing things for me in 2020 was watching so many people that I know to be Christians speak into the issues of our day, not with words of Scripture, but with words from their favorite news outlet or words from some secular, bio, secular book that has nothing to do with the Bible at all, and they proclaim it as if it's this God's gift to the world. I want to just say to you, we must be in the word of God because that's all we've got to offer to the world. At the end of the day, if you're just spouting some secular ideas and calling it godly, you're wrong. And those words won't bring life to people. The only thing that makes people come back to life again is the word of God, which is why in Romans 10, it says they cannot believe unless they hear and they can't hear unless someone preaches and that person can't preach unless they're sent. In, the, in this year ahead, we are building for Lakeview Church a discipleship pathway that will equip every single person in our church to be what we are calling everyday missionaries everyday missionaries because the day and time where we can just come to church and be church people and let somebody else go out and do the work of, the, of evangelism to get people to come into the kingdom of God, that day is over. The day when you get to hire a pastor or staff to go out and reach the community for you, those days are over. We are all missionaries on a mission field and we have 42,000 people in Grant County who need to be reached and that means every single person who claims the name of Jesus Christ in this church needs to develop a prophetic ministry which means you better be in the word of God so that you'll have something to say. 
You got to have something to say. So you get in the word of God and you let God's word speak to you, for you. And then as you assimilate that into your soul, it becomes God's word through you for others. We need people like that, people who have taken the word into their soul and people who are giving the word back to our community in ways that helps them come back to life. We're going to be right in the middle of the mess. We're going to be right in the middle of the mess. And while we're there, it's going to be messy, it's going to be hard. We're not going to always know what to do or what to say or how to act, but we're going to be there and we're not going to run away. And we're going to maintain radical hope right in the midst of it all because we know what God can do. I know what God can do. He saved my life. He changed me from the inside out. He made me a brand new person. God can do that. And if he can do it for me, he can do it for anybody. We're going to maintain radical hope and we are going to share the word of God with our community in ways that help them come back to life. Which brings me to the last thing. And I'm going to invite the band to come back. They're going to lead us in a closing song as they're coming, the last thing. In order for us to do those three things, it requires absolute surrender. Absolute surrender. How did the prophet end up right in the middle of the valley? Because he was yielded to the hand of the Lord. The Lord could just take him and move him wherever he needed him to be and put him right where he wanted him. We have to be people who are 100% fully surrendered to God. We can't hold on to control, not of our lives, not of our homes, not of our church, not of our community. No, we got to let it all go into the hands of the Lord. And why would we do that? Because we know he is faithful. He's faithful. Surrendering control to the Lord, it might be hard, but it's always best. He'll put us right where he wants us to be. He'll guide us. He'll direct us. He'll put us right in the perfect place. And he'll use us there. So this morning, we're going to sing this song. And It's not really a song of surrender. It's just a song that proclaims the character and the capacity of our God. We've already sung it in the service. It's just a song that says, great are you, Lord. And while it's not a song of surrender, what I want to invite you to do while we're singing this song is to surrender. To just take your life, your home, your family, this church, our community, and just loosen your grip and let him have it. Because I think God wants to breathe new life into this church and he wants to breathe new life into this community and if we will let him, he's gonna do that. So I'm gonna invite you to stand.
I'm going to pray for us, and when I end this prayer, we're going to sing this song, and I want you to sing it from a surrendered soul. So, Father, I come before you on this first Sunday of a brand new year, fully aware of your character and your capacity to bring life where death currently reigns. God, I acknowledge that you're calling us into some things that are going to be uncomfortable. They're going to be hard. They're going to be challenging. They're going to be difficult. But by your spirit at work in us, we can be faithful to what you're asking us to do. So we surrender. Lord, we look at our community. We see brokenness. We see hurt. We see hatred. We see violence. We see pain. And yet, God, we're reminded that even in the midst of that kind of death and decay, you can breathe life. So we surrender our community to you. And God, we simply acknowledge this morning that you are great, that there's no one like you, and that you are capable of calling the bones back together putting flesh on them and breathing life into them so that what was a valley of dry bones becomes an exceedingly great army. God, we surrender to you in the hopes that you will do that kind of work in and among and through us as your people. We pray these things from a surrendered soul today. In Jesus' name, amen.